Uh, today uh, is the second in a series of messages uh, entitled Words We Live By, and this is a sermon series created by you. We ask people to say, can you just give us one of your favorite verses in the Bible uh, and tell us why it means something to you? And so today, um, the, the, the message is based upon a verse in the Bible that Amanda Millman uh, is going to talk about. And so we're just going to watch this video and then I will bring the message. God bless you. Every decision is a domino effect throughout your day, from home to work, school. Hi everyone, my name is Amanda. Have you ever thought about how many decisions you need to make every single day? From the time you wake up in the morning, do you get up right away or do you sleep for five more minutes? What are you gonna to wear today? Do you have breakfast? Are you gonna make coffee or are you gonna buy coffee? From the time that you wake up in the morning, every decision is a domino effect throughout your day. From home to work, school, relationships, even your spiritual life. All of these things are constantly growing and changing based purely off the decisions you make every single day. Now, have you ever thought about how many decisions about your life are made without your say? Take COVID-19 restrictions, for example. Decisions about your job or your home, your friends or family. Decisions are made about all of these things without your thoughts or feelings ever coming into play. Now, all of this can feel very overwhelming. Sometimes we can feel lost in the shuffle, confused or uncertain, or sometimes we even feel that no matter what decision we make, it always ends up being the wrong one. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he yes. will rejoice yes. over you with singing. I chose this verse because it reminds me not only to start my day with prayer, but to find moments throughout the day when things seem to be spiraling out of control or chaos is happening, or my heart is unsure or uncertain, to stop and find pure calmness and joy in God's love. I encourage you to find your own moments throughout your day. And remember, not only is God with you, but he is also your cheerleader, your own personal cheerleader that is encouraging you and delighting over you, that is fighting and rooting for you, and at the mere thought of you, it brings him so much joy, he bursts into song. I hope this verse has brought you encouragement. I wish you a beautiful Sunday and happy Mother's Day. Well, I want to thank Amanda for those uh, really encouraging words. Um, so we've been living through this pandemic for about 14 months. And it's interesting, I meet with pastors from uh, all across the country and across Western Canada, different groups of pastors. And... 
I find a lot of pastors doing some hand-wringing. Uh, they're, they're a little down in the dumps about it because they're saying, you know, where is God uh, during this pandemic? Uh, they're feeling like there's a loss of, of control, maybe a loss of enthusiasm. And a lot of pastors and churches, church boards, are feeling kind of dazed and confused, not sure what to do next. And so some Christian leaders, and I've been with some of these, have actually, they sound like they've given up hope. Uh, that they just feel like, well, there's just not a whole lot we can do during the pandemic, so let's just try to survive. Let's just try to stay alive the best we can. Well, the problem with that is there's no vision. They're only seeing what is, but not seeing what could be. They They see problems, but they're not seeing possibilities. And so this week, I was with a group of pastors that I meet with on Thursdays, at 12.30, uh, at 11.30 to 12.30 every week. And it's a global network of pastors, but I'm in a cohort that's uh, filled with a bunch of Canadian pastors. And it's led by uh, Pastor Ray Dirksen, who was the the lead pastor of uh, Southland Church in Steinbach, Manitoba. And this is a small community with a church of about four to 5,000 people. And this is a church that um, talks a lot about how to have continual renewal in our lives and in our churches. And so we were sharing at the beginning, uh, before the lesson uh, that Ray Dirksen was going to share, and he asked one of the pastors who oversees something called GTO, which is Greater, or GTA, Greater Toronto Area. And this pastor, Alvin Coe, uh, oversees a whole network of uh, churches that are ethnically focused on a particular group of people. And it even extends beyond the greater Toronto area. And Alvin has this great responsibility, and he began to share how God was at work in the greater Toronto area. And as he talked, he got more and more excited. And I thought, you know, when's the lesson going to start? Because he just got, he was, in that moment, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he just Uh, began to to tell us how things were just percolating and how the Holy Spirit was on the move in Zoom prayer meetings. They would have prayer meetings at 6 o'clock in the morning uh, once a week, and they would have 50, 100 people show up to pray. Uh, And then he got more and more excited as this thing began to catch fire and was spreading to churches of other denominations. And people were phoning him and emailing him, and they were saying, Elvin, what's going on in your area? It's so exciting. We want some of that. And as he talked, I have to tell you, I had two conflicting emotions as he shared. One is I felt envy, and I had to repent of that because I thought, oh, I want that. I want that because you know what? I do believe that God is at work during the pandemic. I do believe that he wants to be more at work. But I had this feeling of envy. I thought, I want more of that. But I also felt that something was awakened in me in that moment as he talked. And I thought, could it be that God is using the pandemic to get the church's attention to remind us of how uncertain things in this world are and to call out to us to look to him. And the question is, are we listening? 
So I found in my life, whenever I experience, and my wife knows this, when I experience difficulties, trials, failure, and I've had a lot of that in my life, I, what the Lord has taught me is I'm never without hope. He is there in my darkest hours. And that's where I learn my deepest lessons. Even when all hope seems lost, God is always there waiting for me. He comes to me in my brokenness. He comes to me in my despair. And so when the, when the going gets tough, what am I supposed to do? Do I just give up and say, I guess there's nothing that can be done? I'm just helpless? I don't go to that place. What God has been teaching me is I have to humble myself before him and say, God, I don't have control. I don't have all the answers. But God, you are the answer. And so as Amanda shared in her video, this past 14 14 months has been really hard for us. And we feel like there's a loss of control in our lives. The pandemic has just made it worse. And one of the questions that sometimes people ask is, is God punishing us? Is he punishing me? I mean, sometimes we disobey God. Sometimes we wander from his path. We mess up. We make the wrong decisions, as Amanda said. But does God still love us when we do that? Does he still have a vision for our lives? Well, God is at work, even when it seems like he's forgotten us. God does not forsake us. He's working behind the scenes to teach us what is truly important if we will listen. And now the Bible has a lot to say about this. Now this verse that Amanda shared, and I got a few people sitting here to my right. You can all nod your heads. There you go. They're awake. Uh, This verse that she shared, Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord your God is with you. Now think about what we're living through. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. Now, Zephaniah lived during the final decades of the final uh, of the uh, kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, don't worry too much about the history, but it was the final decades of the nation of Judah, God's people. And uh, Josiah was the king, but Josiah brought lots of reforms to Judah. It was great. Spiritual reforms, revival, all of that. But you know what? He lost his way near the end, and the nation lost its way. And so Zephaniah is warning them. He's telling them that there's going to be a day of the Lord's wrath. And so there's a lot of poetic imagery uh, in Zephaniah. There's apocalyptic images of of what's going to happen to this corrupt world that they have created. So Zephaniah sees all this coming, the destruction of Judah and of their capital city, Jerusalem, Years in advance, he sees it coming. He's warning the people, but the people will not listen. They don't want to hear it. And even though God had brought them to this place of brokenness as a nation, they wouldn't humble themselves. They still refused to repent. Even though every decision they were making was wrong, everything around them was crumbling, they didn't see the writing on the wall. So they refused to recognize that what they were living through, the difficult times they were living through, 
that this was God's discipline, that it was God trying to get their attention, to hearken them back to him, but they wouldn't acknowledge their sin. How many times do you hear people just shake their fist at God? How many times do we even hear people in the church, Christians, just say, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand why things are so out of control. And they're asking the wrong questions. They're asking why, and they should be asking what. What, Lord? What is it that you want to teach us? So there's two contrasting themes in Zephaniah. One is the theme of judgment. God is bringing judgment. People, we reap what we sow. And they were. And it wasn't good. But there's also this this contrasting theme of love and mercy, where God brings judgment on the nation in order to get their attention, to discipline them, in order to purify them. It isn't that God wants to destroy them. God does not want to destroy us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that we could have eternal life. God wants to purify his people. And so on the one side, we see God's judgment. On the other side, we see his love, his mercy, and there's hope on the other side of that. And so the first, it's three chapters, Zephaniah, and the first two and a half are not good news. They're, they're like, there's about judgment and uh, you know, the wrath of God coming upon the nation that should know better. But then the last half of chapter three And that's where that verse, Zephaniah 3.17, is from that Amanda quoted. God invites his people once again to sing and to rejoice. And then he says, I want to sing and rejoice over you. I want you to be in that place where I can sing and rejoice over you. And so there is that verse again. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. I want you to notice two things that are going on here. One is, it says, the Lord our God is with us right now. When God brought his judgment upon the people, he was still with them. No matter what you're going through, no matter how confusing and perplexing it is, no matter how difficult the trial is, God is with us us. He hasn't abandoned us. You know, I was thinking about helicopter parents. (laughs) I don't think we have any here, but helicopter parents who, who just don't want their kids to ever fall down, skin their knees, ever hurt themselves, don't take any risks. Mommy and daddy are here. We're watching over you all the time. The parents can never relax. You know what? God isn't like that. You know what? If we choose to, to step away from his path, and to move from his light into the darkness, God will give us some latitude. God's going to say, okay, you go. You you see what that's like over there. But I'm going to be here waiting for you. I'm going to be here waiting for you. I remember I was watching um, a little uh, conversation that Andy Stanley from North Point Church in Atlanta, Georgia, was having with his father, Charles Stanley. And Charles and Andy, father and son, are sitting there having this conversation from each other. And uh, Andy was talking about all the things he had learned from his dad. And he says, you know, dad, there was one thing that you always did that just bugged me. It just really aggravated me when I was a kid. And I would say, 
Dad, um, what do you think I should do about this particular situation? And he says, my dad would always answer back, well, Andy, what do you think you should do? He said, my dad wouldn't just give me the answer. My dad wanted me to learn some lessons and my way and to find God's way, but he didn't want to just give me the answers on a silver platter. And so this is what it says in Zephaniah 3, verses 14 and 15. It says, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. God allowed them to go through these difficult times. But he said, I am still with you. And the day will come when no harm will ever come to you. So are we aware that God is with us? Do we know that he's not abandoned us? Even in our most desperate situation. So that's the one lesson from this passage. The Lord is with us now, no matter what. Even though it seems like he's far away, he is here with us. He's not forsaken us. But the second thing is the Lord, it says the Lord our God will delight in you. He's not saying I'm delighting in you right now if you're living in disobedience. Even though we walk away from God, even though we may ignore God, even though we may live in sin and live in a way that just breaks the heart of God. He's with us. He loves us. He's merciful to us. But he's also allowing us to reap the consequences of those bad choices. He's with us. But folks, he's not delighting in us. He wants to delight in us. As a parent, many of us know what it's like to have wayward children. Children who've walked away from God. We love them. We're there for them. We want to be able to delight in them. And that's the heart of our Father. So God's not delighting when we walk away from Him, when we walk in darkness, but He's despairing over us. So verse 17, Zephaniah 3.17, is a reminder for us to come to that place in our lives where God can be pleased with who we have become. And that doesn't mean that we need to seek God's approval by good works. That's not what it means. So I want you to take a look at this image. This is Rembrandt's painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it's based on that story in the Bible, Luke chapter 15. Most of us, I think, know this, where this son, the younger of two brothers, wanders from home and he, he wastes and ruins his life. He thought he could do this on his own. And it's interesting, he, he, he finally just hits rock bottom. And the Bible says he came to his senses and he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back home. And he goes back home and guess what? His father is waiting for him. I love that image. I think Rembrandt really captured it. He's saying, my son, who's lost, is found. Who's blind, he can now see. He's 
our Father's waiting for us just to, just to come home. That's all that God wants. We don't come to Him with our good works. We don't come and say, hey God, look at me, I'm your prize. Look at how well I've lived my life. No, God is just saying, you know what? If you've messed up, come in your brokenness. Come in your despair. And I'm waiting for you. So what does this verse, Zephaniah 3.17, have to do with us? Well, it, what it is, is it's really a promise of God that, you know, we could take out of context. But there is a context, as I've shown you, because God had brought judgment on the people, but he's saying there will come a day. And I look forward to it, God says, when I'll be able to sing over you. But this is conditional. This promise of restoration is conditional. She remember when Amanda said in her video, she said, our everyday lives are a series of decisions. They have kind of a domino effect. One decision affects the next decision and so on. And she asked this question, have you ever thought about how many decisions for your life are made without your say? Like the pandemic, like the government restricting us are made without our say. We can grumble about it, but that's life. Then she said, take COVID-19 restrictions, for example. We can feel lost in the shuffle, confused or uncertain. And it's like no matter what decision we make, it always feels like the wrong one. We often feel that way. But God is with us, and he will rejoice over us if we will just turn to him. Amanda said that this promise, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. She said that this promise reminds her to turn to God when things seem to be spiraling out of control. To find calmness and joy in God's love. She said we need to find moments in the day when we can embrace his promises. So his promise is given to two types of people those who are faithful. So you know what? Even in the nation of Judah, when God brought judgment, guess what? There were faithful people. They were called the faithful remnant. There were some who were faithful to God. But guess what? They were swept up with the times. They were swept up with the events. They felt it too. And God said, just wait. But then he was also offering this promise to those who were unfaithful, and saying, if you will just return to me, kind of like the prodigal, come back home. So this promise was given to the southern kingdom of Judah thousands of years ago. And Amanda, on that video, hey, Amanda, if you're watching, on that video, she claimed that promise for her own life. You know, there are some people that would say, you know what? Amanda has no right to claim that promise. That was given to those people in that time, in that era, for a specific situation that they were in. We as Christians can't just take those Old Testament promises. Well, guess what? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, this will come up on the screen. This is what the Apostle Paul says. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That means, and actually, I, I, I would like to go deeper into this, but yes, you can claim the promises of God to the nation of Israel. We need to be careful of the context. But yes, you can claim those promises. 
How many of you know this little song? Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, and every line, all the blessings of his love divine. Every promise in the book is mine, mine, mine. We sing that, but is there good theology behind it? I believe there is. The Bible says in Romans 15, 5, it says everything that was written in the past, meaning in the Bible, in the Old Testament, was written to teach us. We can claim those. We have to be careful with them. But we can claim those. And Amanda is right to be able to take that as what we would call a rhema, word of God, to her. So even though the promise was given to God's people in that day, it's also for those believers who will by faith embrace that promise. It's for the church, but it's also for those of us who have ears to hear. You know, it's interesting. Revelation chapter 3, near the end, it's the church of Laodicea, which was a church that was saying, hey, you know, we got everything we need. We're wealthy. We're rich. We're cool. And you know what? We're okay. And, and you know, they were kind of arrogant about it. You know, self, um, self-satisfied. And God actually says to them, no, you're poor and blind and naked. You know, he, and he's actually calling them to repent. At the end of verse 19, he says to the church in Laodicea, he says, repent. Then he says this in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they, you know what's interesting? Who's he speaking to? The church, the collective group. But then he says, if any one of you, any one of you hears my voice, doesn't matter what the rest of the church is doing. If you hear my voice, if you've got ears to hear, I will come to you. Come to me. And I will come to you. So Zephaniah 3.17 is God's promise for those who are willing to turn to him, live life on his terms. I love verses 16 and 17 together. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, remember, on that day, it's coming. Do not fear. Do not let your hands hang limp. That's what people are doing during the pandemic. They're going, oh, Vince is going to be over. No, he said, don't do that. Rejoice. The Lord your God is with you. He will take delight in you. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I have used this before, but I just want to share this story with you. There was a Broadway musical, Man of La Mancha. And in the story, it's, it's actually a story within a story. It's about Don Quixote. It's a name that this older gentleman assumes, Don Quixote. Don Quixote saw the world, not as it is, but as it could be. He saw people, not as they were, but as they could be. And he's captivated by this barmaid, Eldonza, who also works as a prostitute at night. And he doesn't see Eldonza the way she sees herself. He sees more. Eldonza sees herself as nothing more than a worthless whore that men use and throw away. She's grown bitter and hard over the years because the world has so mistreated her. Don Quixote says, I hope to add some measure of grace to the world. That was his worldview. Eldonza said, 
The world's a dung heap, and we're maggots that crawl on it. But Don Quixote calls out to her. He says, my lady. And she scoffs, and she recoils in disgust when he talks to her that way. She screams at him. She says, I'm not your lady. I'm not any kind of a lady. I was spawned in a ditch by a mother who left me there, naked and cold and too hungry to cry. I'm sure she left hoping that I'd have the good sense to die. Don Quixote says, and still, you are my lady. But Aldonza is tormented by his words. She says, look at me, look at me. Look at the kitchen slut reeking and with sweat, born on a dung heap, to die on a dung heap, a strumpet that men use and forget. But then Don Quixote gives her a new name, Dulcinea. He says, you're not, you're no longer Aldanza. To me, you're Dulcinea, my lady, beautiful woman. And she says, take the clouds from your eyes. And see me as I really am. I'm no one. I'm nothing. I'm only Aldonza the whore. He says, now and forever, thou art my lady, Dulcinea. But she shrieks at him and she runs off into the night. And the years pass. Don Quixote lies dying. And a beautiful woman arrives and stands at his bedside. But Don Quixote doesn't recognize her. She says, don't you know me? And he goes, should I? And she says, I am Aldonza. But his memory is faded and he doesn't recognize her. And she says, he, she says, you spoke to me and everything was different. I spoke to you? And she says, you looked at me and you called me by another name, Aldonza. She had become the woman of his dreams. That's what Zephaniah 3.17 means for me. God is for us, not against us. I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and Pastor Trent is going to come, and he's going to lead us to the Lord's table. But I just want to ask you as we bow our heads, are you feeling lost, confused, uncertain, and maybe even unworthy and worthless? Maybe you've wandered from God's path. And maybe you've shut God out and you've turned away from his commands in the life that he's called you to. And now you're facing the consequences of your own bad decisions. Well, if that is you, God has not forgotten you. Like the father of the story in the prodigal son, God is waiting for you to come home. If you'll run to his embrace. Would you ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me what this all means, what you want to say to me through the trials I'm experiencing? Would you return home so God can rejoice over you? Would you be willing to say that the troubles I'm going through now, the confusion that I'm experiencing now, is God's loving discipline. It's a way that God wants to purify me to bring me to a place of humility, to bring me to a place of repentance so I can be the person that he 
created me to be and so that he can rejoice over me. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, he said, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. The Lord your God is with you. He will take delight in you if you return. He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Will you come home to your father's house? Come in your brokenness. Come in your humility. There's a place for you at the father's table. And we're going to sing a song in closing after Pastor Trent leads us in communion called I am who you say I am. There's a place for us in our Father's house, at his table. Would you come? In Jesus' name, amen. God, our Heavenly Father, you poured yourself out. Lord, we come to you now in repentance. We confess that we have not, we've not been our best. But Lord, we accept your grace, we accept your mercy, we accept your call and your invitation. We come to this table as a response to your word, as a response to your beauty and your generosity. Lord, thank you. So if you would take out uh, your bread. The body of our Lord 
broken for you. Take this in remembrance of him. blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of Christ's blood, that it was shed for you, and be thankful. Amen. And may we sing together this song of declaration to our Lord. Oh uh-huh. 
Amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. And moms, have a wonderful Mother's Day.